Hello and welcome to Wexcast, the Waterstones Exeter podcast. We're back. It's 2018. It's a brand new year. We've taken a bit of time off for the refit and Christmas madness and took the time off in January so that we could come back proper, good and strong. And here goes. So for today's podcast, the first for 2018, I caught up with some of our booksellers to find out what they've been reading while we've been away, what they're excited about at the moment and what they want to tell you guys about, and had a really good chat with Andy, Dave, Annabelle and Meg, who is new to the podcast, and I think it was fantastic and I hope you enjoy it. Now I've got a few things I want to tell you about that are really exciting. So we've got this lovely new store, and for 2018 we are embarking on a major new events programme so that we can bring you more of the book events that you guys love. Now starting on the 10th of February, Saturday the 10th of February to Saturday the 17th of February, we are hosting Love Your Bookshop Week. Now this is a week of activities, fun, lovely, lovely things to celebrate our wonderful new look bookshop. We're going to have story time in the children's section every day uh, from the 10th to the 16th at 10.30, so that'll be hosted by our booksellers. Because it's half-term, we want something for the little ones, so we'll have story time every day at 10.30, and we'll also have lots of colouring and activities on offer in the children's section as well. On the first floor, we're going to have blind date with a book. You can come and talk to one of our booksellers, and we will show you our selection of blind dates for books. And we're also going to have a limited edition Love Your Bookshop drink on offer in the cafe, and we're hoping to do some competitions on social media as well so keep an eye on that two of the more exciting things that we've got going on during the week the first is on thursday the 15th of february the big book lovers quiz this is something i'm really excited about because i'm the quiz master i am in charge and i am hosting this one i've got a picture round for you i've got an anagram round for you and there'll be four rounds of brain teasery questions all about books we will have a team of booksellers and a team of baristas both of which will of course be playing just for pride while you guys can play for prizes exciting prizes so that's on thursday the 15th of february we're asking you to get there at six o'clock and we will start the quiz at half past six and it will run until about half past seven so if you fancy coming along to that tickets are one pound and sales from that will go to book trust the wonderful charity that waterstone supports so if you'd like tickets for that drop us an email at events.exeterromangame at waterstones.com to reserve your tickets or you can pop in store and buy your tickets whenever you like. I'm not letting any of the booksellers or the baristas see any of the questions. I'm not giving them any clues. They're asking and I'm telling them to go away. So it's going to be a really fun night. I'm really excited. I'm not going to go easy on you guys. It's not going to be too hard that it's not enjoyable. I'm all about the fun but I'm not going to go easy on you guys. The other big exciting event that we have got going on to finish off Love Your Bookshop Week is we're going to have the wonderful Emma Carroll in store signing her new book, Sky Chasers. Emma Carroll, of course, has written so many wonderful books such as Strange Star, In the Darkling Wood, Frost Hollow Hall, and recently we had her in store for Letters from the Lighthouse, which was one of our books of the month just before Christmas, and she came in and did a signing for that, and she is one of the most wonderful people. Letters from the Lighthouse, of course, won um, a Books Are My Bag award, so we are so excited to have Emma Carroll in. She will be in from one o'clock on Saturday the 17th of February, which is the last day of Love Your Bookshop week. She'll be in from one o'clock. You don't have to have a ticket, uh, but get in early to avoid disappointment. Sky Chasers is an absolutely fantastic book, and we know there are a lot of Emma Carroll fans out there. So if your kids love Emma Carroll as much as we do, then our store is the place to be on Saturday the 17th of February from one o'clock. We've got lots more exciting events planned for 2018. We're also going to launch 
launch a series of regular events on our late night Thursdays when we're open till 7 o'clock. So the first Thursday of each month is our very popular book group. The second Thursday of each month will be a poetry night. The third Thursday of each month will be what we are affectionately calling Nerd Night, which will be a night of board games and trading card games. And on the fourth Thursday of every month, we are offering our second floor as a space for external reading groups. So if you've got a book group and you need somewhere to go, come in and have a chat with us. We are also launching a lovely newsletter. So over on Tiny Letter, tinyletter.com forward slash Waterstones EX, we will be launching a little regular newsletter. So if you want to find out about all of the latest events that we've got coming up, exciting book offers, books that we're excited about, then sign up for our newsletter at tinyletter.com forward slash Waterstones EX. If you pop into store, you may be asked if you'd like to join this mailing list. And we do also have a book group mailing list, which is a separate one for our book group members so that we can let them know about dates, times, and all of the book choices as they happen. So lots of exciting stuff coming up for 2018 for our lovely new look Waterstones Exeter. Please do come and join us from the 10th to the 17th for Love Your Bookshop Week. We will also have a little little booth on offer for you to tell us what you love about your bookshop, whether it's this bookshop or other bookshops. We will have a little way for you to tell us what you love about your bookshop. So please do come and join us 10th to the 17th of February. There'll be something going on every day. Check out our Facebook and our waterstones.com page, which I will link to in the audio description of this podcast. For more details about all of the events, sign up to our newsletter, come along to our quiz on Thursday the 15th, come along to all of our events, and until then, you can listen to this lovely podcast. We are back for 2018. Without further ado, let's hear from our booksellers. Right, so I am joined by Andy. Hello again, Andy. Hi, Livy. Hello. It's been so long. It has. I've missed your face. Oh, thanks. Although I see you every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was a bit confused there. <laughs> um, so I want to know what, because we haven't done a podcast in a little while for reasons, refit, Christmas madness. I just want to know some really good books that you have been loving over the last couple of months that I haven't had a chance to talk to you about. Okay, well, I've got some beauties for you. Um, a little bit of a mix. Uh, first one I wanted to mention was our crime book of the month for January, mm-hmm. uh, which was Sirens by Joseph Knox. Um, it's a fantastic book, a debut book for this author. I've, I know I've sort of said to most of you guys in the shop already who haven't read it, but it's just like reading a classic film noir is, set in it? present day yeah. Manchester. Because you've read this one as well, I have, yeah, you? a while ago, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I loved it. Um, so the protagonist is called Detective Aidan Waits. Um, it's set to be the first in a series with this character. And it's, as I said, it's sort of everything that you expect from a classic film noir. Um, there's a complete mood throughout of pessimism um, and menace. Detective Aidan Waits, as I said, uh, he's an alienated anti-hero. So he's very much that undercover cop he's embedded within the underground drug scene in manchester and he just gets sucked into this role doesn't he where it's a very fine line between being a cop and actually going too far down the undercover route he's got that troubled past hasn't he as with any good detective exactly he's got that sort of troubled past and that sort of feeds into his difficulty dealing with this underground scene because it kind of pulls him back to his darkest times yes and you know it's that whole um sort of clash of conscience because he can see it happening and it's like a crisis for him but he gets too sucked in he gets too attached to the people that he's following um there's a couple of 
seductive femme fatales mm -hmm. that play a massive part in the story that he knows he should stay away from, but the professional and unprofessional lines blur yeah. between them. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the whole thing, uh, he be, he's undercover and he only comes out at night. So the entire book is set during the night. It's normally raining. Yeah, um, it's rain. sort of yeah, very gritty streets. Um, sort of dark shadows everywhere. It was it was a really great tale. I mean, it's a cracking thriller. And just the whole setting, it, it's one of the most atmospheric thrillers. So atmospheric, isn't I it? think I've read in quite a while. Yeah. And I'm very happy that he's going to take this character into the next one. Um, the current Waterstones edition that we have has actually got the first opening couple of chapters of it. Of um, the Smiling Man. Which smiling is the Man. One, yeah. Yes, that's it. It's a really good. If you do buy Sirens, it's got that little teaser at the end, just to and already a couple of which chapters. Which I didn't of have that. when I first read. Oh, this. did you not? Oh, <laughs> you, you, you must have had the hardback. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got it quite a while ago, and um, I'm going to need that teaser. Yeah, so if you get the paperback, that is in there. I'm very happy because it feels like this character, there's a lot more that um, Joseph Knox can do with him. And, you know, you love a flawed anti-hero. Oh, so, we love a flawed one. Yes, so <laughs> I think he's going to have a lot more journeys and a lot more adventures. Excellent, excellent. Another one that I read, which I think probably... I, I read this in November time, so just after our last podcast. Yeah, I think we maybe mentioned you were about to read it or were planning to or something I, I like think, that. Yeah. yeah, I think we skirted on it briefly, um, but uh, it turned out to be my favourite book of the year. Yay. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was called Call Me By Your Name, and you have to excuse my pronunciation. Uh, the author is Andre Asiman, I believe that's how you... Uh, so it's um, sort of obviously very topical now um, because it's up for the best adapted screenplay. Is that the only one it's up for? Or is it up for a couple of... I forget. I'm pretty sure there's a few actors that's the main there. one we tend to pay attention to. <laughs> exactly. That's being... Which one's based on books? <laughs> exactly, because we like books. <laughs> um, because it was first published in 2007, um, but obviously because the movie was made last year, there's been a whole resurgence of interest in the book. Republished, um, exactly. Uh, yeah, the jacket has got the two lead actors, mm -hmm. isn't it, on the front? And it, it was just a, a dream of a book. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, for anyone that doesn't know the story, um, it's set back in the summer of 1987. Um, it follows two guys and their summer romance and the 20 years that follow on from this romance that they've had. Based in Italy, in a nondescript part of Italy, because um, Ataman says, as you know, many authors do, it's about the characters, not about yeah. the setting, so it could be anywhere within Italy. And it's set between, so the two characters, you've got Elio Perlman, um, who's an intellectually precocious 17-year-old, um, is his first love, um, and that is a guy called Oliver, who's a 24-year-old American Jewish scholar. Um, every summer, Elio's parents let out his bedroom in their house for visiting scholars to use for the summer to right. study with Elio's father, who's a famous scholar based at a university. So Elio has to give up his bedroom every summer for this person coming in. Right. And it's, it doesn't start off as an infatuation on his part. It's more an admiration mm. of Oliver. And then it gradually evolves into this just fascinating, fractured first love crush, really. Elio's also got a girlfriend. He's sort of coming to terms with his burgeoning bisexuality. He's not sure um, what Oliver's sexuality is. He just knows there's this connection with them. And the whole thing is set against this quite desperate countdown clock because Oliver is only there for, it's either six or eight weeks of the summer. Right. So it, it, it's great. There's it's, a time it's, limit. There's a whole time limit on it happening. 
and so even during that summer there's lots of tinges of regret from them both that they don't feel how they feel at the end how they felt at the beginning right. and it is just beautifully written. I was absolutely sort of obsessed with this as I went through it. And then what's really good is the way it picks up over the next 20 years, which is only about the last, I don't know, fifth of the book. Mm -hmm. And it just goes to show how this first passionate encounter, basically your first love, how it stays with you for all of your life and it mm. affects everything that happens afterwards, even if it's very small things that happened back then. But yeah, it was beautifully written and... I, I haven't seen the film yet. Oh, I, wanted... so I was just going to ask you, have you seen the film? Maybe? No, I wanted to make sure I read the book first, mm -hmm. but I know the film has had like you know lots of five star mm. reviews and the fact that it's up for. We might have to do a like a booksellers cinema trip. Oh, we should. We should. Or or an Oscars night. Or an Oscars. Oh, I'd be down for an Oscars night. That would be good, wouldn't it? Quite quite a late night. I'll <laughs> late night. Make, yeah. make sure I'm not working the next day. <laughs> Same. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I very strongly recommend that one. Okay. It's um yeah, beautiful book, very beautifully written, and it's one that stays with you long after the end. Um, and then just very quickly, the other one I wanted to quickly mention was A Necessary Evil by Abir Mukherjee. Uh, Abir Mukherjee was one of our thrillers of the month last year. He wrote A Rising Man, mm -hmm. which is a historical crime novel based in Calcutta in 1919 at the end of the Raj period. Um, this is the second book in that range. Uh, it follows the two same characters. So you've got Captain Sam Wyndham, um, who is a World War I veteran. He's an opium addict which is a fantastic flaw to his character. Really, Exactly, really <laughs> humanises him. Um, and it's written about in a very good way. In the, I can't think of any other way of saying it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a very important part of his character throughout the book. Um, and then his counterpart, he's got Sergeant uh, Banerjee, who is his Indian uh, officer working underneath him. Um, well, one of the best things about this character is none of the English uh, police in India can pronounce his first name so they call him Surrender Not um, because that's the closest they can get to it and obviously it's the tie that he's a policeman and right. it's um yeah it, it's, it's just a really yeah. nice little nice little touch um, so the first one was set um, in Calcutta murder of um, an English diplomat this one they take the characters outside of Calcutta and they go um, out into the wealthy kingdom of Sambalpur. It's a year after the first one, so there's a few repercussions from what happens in A Rising Man for right. anyone that's read it. <clears throat> and again, it's just a very good historical thriller. Um, it's, he's done his research. Um, India, especially now that he's got out of the city, it's a beautiful setting. There's a scene with um, murder by elephant which oh. <laughs> you can only get in India at that I time. I was not expecting you to, <laughs> wasn't expecting that sentence. Okay. Um, so there, there's some really good paths he can go down based on the setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would. If you liked *The Rising Man*, I, this one didn't disappoint. Um, it came out in hardback the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Paperback, I'm pretty sure, comes out early summer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, one to look out for. Or if you can't wait until then, I'd pick it up now in hardback. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. yeah it's very good. Now, what are you reading at the moment? So I'm currently reading... Oh, I'm being tested on my author pronunciations <laughs> today. So I'm currently reading Lullaby by Leila Slimani. Yeah. Uh, which you have also read. I have, yeah. Yeah, this is actually your copy, which... It is. I'm honoured because you don't often... <laughs> I know. ...lend out books. I'm obviously trusted. No pressure. <laughs> so Lullaby, uh, what the, the front cover says it all. It's just a close-up picture of the front pinafore of a nanny, and it says, The baby is dead. It took only a few seconds. Mm -hmm. um, it's... It's got me hooked completely. I'm halfway through it. Uh, the premise is... Uh, it's a French translation, isn't it? Yes, it won the... I can never pronounce this. Pre-concours 
Preconco Award. And it's been much, much talked about in France and yeah, translated and published by Faber. Um, yeah, really talked about this one. So this one is about um, a modern couple who have two young children and the mother is desperate to go back to work. They hire on paper what seems to be the perfect nanny and it's a horrific crime story. She ain't no Mary Poppins. She really isn't. She really, (laughs) really isn't. She seems like this Mary Poppins perfect character to start with, doesn't she? And the family just end up relying on her so much. She becomes the focal point of their family Mm. to the point where they don't think they can exist without the nanny. She has integrated herself so much in that they they almost, they don't notice her moving into their house almost. Um, Where you're up to, have they gone on holiday with her yet? They've done the holiday. Cool. Yes, they've done the holiday, which is quite a pivotal point in the book, isn't it? But it it sets it up fantastically. The the line I just read, the baby is dead, it took only a few seconds, is the opening line of the book. The first couple of pages, the nanny has just killed the children and the mother's walked in on it. And then the rest of the book skips back to from when they first met the nanny. Mm. And so you're reading it with the hindsight and you're seeing all the build-up of what led to that, how they didn't notice the nanny becoming more and more unhinged. Mm. You see it from the nanny's perspective. Um, so it shows how she became this very dangerous character um, with all these psychological problems and, and how she's past, twisted. Yeah. And then you've got the background of both the parents and how they've let themselves become so dependent on this woman. And yeah, there's a few scenes from uh, there's the two children. One's a baby, but one's a sort of three or four-year-old. Yeah. So there's a few chapters which are written from her perspective you can see through her eyes what happens when the parents aren't there mm. um it's so dark it so really sinister is and... and it's i mean it's very bleak because you know from the start unless there's a massive twist i don't know you know from the start that the children are dead yeah so it's not like there's going to be any redemption here it's more just an examination of this catastrophic event and how it got to it and how everyone in hindsight looking back thinking what should I have looked for what were the warnings so yeah psychological literary thriller that's very sinister very sinister yes do not read this to your three or four year olds before (laughs) bedtime why would you I don't know (laughs) well don't just just don't don't. good well it's a good job you wouldn't my advice so yes Lullaby by Leila Slimani uh, is a fantastic one of all the four just buy them all please Brilliant, brilliant. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. What are you thinking of possibly reading next? Uh, so, off the top of my head, um, there is the new Jane Harper book. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, the Dry was my favourite thriller of 2017. Mm-hmm. A fantastic murder mystery in the outback of Australia. And she's got her second book, Force of Nature, uh, which is about five um, women. Again, it's based in Australia. Five women go on a team building weekend um and only four of them come back and that's all i know about it so far um i'm desperately trying to see if i can get a an advanced reading copy copy. (laughs) yeah i keep um checking all resources but um there's none out there yet but yeah if it's anything like the dry then that's the main one i'm looking forward to this year brilliant thank you andy no worries it's nice to be back liv yay thanks bye so i'm joined by meg hey meg hi liv first time on the podcast overly excited to say the least (laughs) Everybody's always a little bit nervous first time on the podcast, but how are you feeling? Visibly shaking, you but are, that's you okay. That's fine, yeah, because this is radio. Right <laughs> <laughs> so because we haven't done a podcast for a little while, um, with refit and Christmas and everything, I'm just having a general catch-up with all of our lovely booksellers, and I would just like to know 
what are some books that you have read recently that you're just really excited about and you want to tell the good folks, the good listeners, all about? Well, I think if I work backwards chronologically, that might make sense. Okay. So what I have got that's coming up that I'm really excited mm-hmm. about is going to be uh, The Boys Who Dare to Be Different, Stories for Boys Who Dare to Be Different. Oh. Um, it's due out at the end of March. It's written by Ben Brooks, and it's essentially a companion book to The Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. Um, but more aimed towards boys, it's for boys, and it's stories that are encouraging them to find other ways to express themselves, other ways to be a hero that don't necessarily always involve violence and slaying dragons and, you know, generally doing all those hyper-masculine things that we've come to expect a lot of young boys to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really fantastic. They've got people like Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, Salvador Dali, so a really good mix of politicians, artists, so Mm -hmm. political sort of activists, that type of thing, that I think are really going to encourage boys to to be more sensitive, to be more sort of personal and yeah, I think I think as a companion piece to Rebel Girls, I think it's it's, it's just as important to encourage boys to to change their their view to see that there's more than one way to be a successful boy. I think that's just as important as encouraging girls they can do anything they want. So Absolutely. I think to see to see the two side by side finally, I think is is really it's just showing how much we're going to be tipping the scales this year in terms of the continued fight for gender equality in our bookshops. Um, so, yeah. The good thing with Rebel Girls and with, with this one is that actually mm. they work well for the opposite gender as absolutely, it were. Like, absolutely, absolutely. For boys to read good nice stories for Rebel Girls, it's important it's for girls, girls to read, read the boys' stories. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I think this this good combination of everybody changing their views on the roles of both genders is, yeah, it's going to be going to be mm. fantastic and I'm, I'm really, really excited about this and one. And we should say as well that the, the, the boys, well, I've already forgotten the title, it's not sticking in my head. <laughs> so I'm it's all stories, stories, for stories for Boys Who Dare to Be Different. Stories for Boys Who Dare to Be Different is not published by the same guys that do Good Night Not, Girls, no, but, it's, but it is it considered feels a very, yeah. yeah, it feels very similar to it. And so. of course you can pre-order the second volume pre-order. of Good Night Stories You can Girls. indeed. That one is due, I think, the 22nd of this month. So it's, Excellent. A, it's a good month. So what else do you want to tell us about? So now I want to talk about Thug by Angie Thomas. So Yay. that's actually the hate you give, but yeah, sort of shortened to thug. Um, and for me, it's been out about seven months now, but I think in terms of choosing a book that's captured everything that's happened over the last year, I think you just, it's, it's not gonna be a better one. So um, our heroine star, she very early on in the story witnesses uh, the fatal shooting of her best friend Khalil by, um, by a cop and he's unarmed. And then the story continues with her sort of dealing with the police, dealing with the court system um, and essentially fighting for justice for her friend and you know when when you look at it in tandem with the Black Lives Matter movement and with everything else that's going along um, at the minute sort of in in the US in particular um, I think it's not only is it a really important story but I think the way that it's told is just utterly stunning so you get these moments of protest and these moments of violence interspersed with these really sort of mundane sort of teenage Mm. it it reads half like a teenage love story and and a, a high school sort of novel and then interspersed with all of this other stuff and I think it really hits home for readers especially readers who who don't really have much experience with this sort of thing just just how often these things can happen in the midst of somebody's life how there are people going about their daily business and then one one day they're shot Mm. and I think I think for me it really it really did sort of bring home just how how commonplace this is in a lot of people's lives and I think it's it's an absolutely crucial read for anybody who wants to sort of learn more about the movement to learn more about how it, it impacts the daily lives of of children as well mm. I mean stars she's she's 16 she's 17 so yeah I think that that one for me has got to be another 
Another it's absolutely really wonderful, isn't it? I know it's, it's one that Tracy absolutely loves as well, uh-huh. um, who's been on the podcast before. And it's what I loved about the, this book as well is the way it crafts the story in terms of Sistar is obviously she lives in a black neighborhood but she, she goes does. to school in a white yes, neighborhood exactly. so she's she has got a white boyfriend yeah exactly and, um, and I think for her she's always pushed or pulled one way or the other it's almost as if she can't be both and I think that's that's another really you know she, she really struggles to get her white friends on board with with joining the movement with being a part of and I think you know the way that it deals with the theme of allyship and what white yeah. people can do to to help the movement to help their black friends that people in their yeah. lives um it's a really smart way of engaging that conversation yeah within the narrative to absolutely. have that conversation with the reader absolutely you know for a teen book it it does so much it doesn't patronize its no. teen readers not at i've all. recognized it re- recognized recommended this book to quite a few adults and teenagers like mm-hmm. I, it's just so fantastic we've actually got um a waterstone special edition coming in we soon which has got yellow yep. sprayed edges instead of the pink and it's got an exclusive bit um, about the making of the film, I believe. They are yes, now turning it into a film. film. Yes, yeah. exactly. So this will be the next big on screen. So mm. yeah, that's uh, that's my other that's my teen that I wanted to highlight essentially. So that's um, your sort of teen pick. That is my teen pick. Anything yes. else you want to tell us about? Um, yeah, I now have a grown up pick. Far be it for me <laughs> to to read grown up books and also refer to them as grown up books. But here we are. Um, I've actually just finished reading *The Living Mountain* by Nan Shepherd, and it's been out since the 60s so it's hardly a new release but for me I think I was being so bombarded with you know we ha- we've seen a real resurgence in na- nature writing mm-hmm. at the moment and you know we had we have Robert McFarlane's Lost Words which really sort of re-peaked my interest in mm-hmm. in sort of writing about the natural world so off the back of that I wanted to return to to something more from the sort of the first wave of environmental writing so so Nan Shepherd um, lives close to the mountains and she walks in the mountains every day and the living mountain is her it's it's almost written as a novel but it is it is a non it's almost a biography it's a it's a biopic of her sort of experience and her connection to the mountains Mm -hmm. and I think there's just her oh gosh her way of kind of descriptive writing it's she doesn't she doesn't use any flowery language doesn't use any adjectives but she you just feel this sort of force between her and between between her natural world and I think it's 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 something that a lot of environmental writers right now are really trying to emulate you know we've had things like Silence in the Age of Noise recently which mm-hmm. was another one that I loved but I think I see a lot of of that sort of book in somebody like Nan Shepherd's writing and I just I just thought it was honestly astonishing and I want to go and visit the the Ken Horns <laughs> and um, yeah no <laughs> I haven't even read the book and I want to go to Ken Horns oh gosh no it's thing. it's wonderful and um, I'm, the one thing that I, I particularly like about it as well that she does have this sort of um, it's a, I don't want to say it's like a hippie-ish thing, but she so she deals with this idea of spirituality mm-hmm. and how how that's tied how, to nature. How, how the natural world can invoke feelings of spirituality, but yeah. without it without it coming across as this sort of contrite or sort of new age. It doesn't mm. it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like she really is getting to the the sort of the base core of, of that feeling of all that I think we all get when mm. we go out into the natural world. And yeah, when you actually connect with, with nature in any way, yeah, you do absolutely. experience that. Um, but, you know, the difficulty of trying to put that feeling down on paper is, you know, is probably one of the great greatest <laughs> problems with, you know, in literature. But I, I just think she she, nails she absolutely it. nails it on the head in such a tiny book as well. It's, you know, it's about 100 pages. I read it in a couple of hours. So, yeah, anybody that wants a, a quick escape into the... The, the natural world I would thoroughly recommend to yeah return to an old classic at the expense well, of well I've always been meaning to read it and you know what I think I'm going to pick up a copy today to <laughs> because I feel like I do need to read this one now I'm feeling I'm feeling natural and feeling, I love me some, love me some Scotland absolutely so. 
Feels a bit chilly though. Well, your yeah. coat, maybe yeah. put your coat on. <laughs> put your coat on while you're reading. <laughs> well, thank nice. you so much, Meg, for no joining us. No worries at all. Thank and, you for uh, having me. No worries. We shall catch you again soon. Right on. Hey, Annabelle. Hi. So long time no see. Well, it's, I know. it's really not long time no see. Like we work together most days. I think it has been. Oh, okay, yeah. We do. <laughs> like, it's long time no see for the podcast listeners, but we've seen each other lots since Yeah, last. A, yeah like a lot. You've been at my house and yeah. everything. Like, okay. I was invited. I feel I should stress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, because we haven't done a podcast for a little while, I'm having to catch up with everybody. So, what have you been reading? What do you want to tell people about? I've been having a bit of a Neil Gaiman binge at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I first, um, I read John, our manager, has been telling me for ages and ages read Neil Gaiman and it's taken me a really long time 26 years approximately to start reading his books and I started with Neverwhere which is amazing and it's based in it's set in London but it's kind of the magical London it's a really really good book if you want a proper story and that I think that's what Neil Gaiman does best he's a he's a real storyteller he knows how to spin a good yarn oh so good and this the edition that I've got that we sell obviously is um, illustrated by Chris Riddell oh it's so pretty it's really pretty couldn't recommend it more it's a really really good book I read Stardust next which is also really good it's one of those books that I don't know if people you've probably had that you know when you read a book and you've watched the film years and years before and you feel like a total idiot for watching the film before you read the book see I've never actually seen the film don't do it in fact it took me a while to realise that but the film was based on yeah, Neil I think... Gaiman Stardust. It just didn't twig. Oh, we say we say we say Gaiman Gaiman. Oh, did I say it differently? Oh, you did. I just say it how it comes out of my oh, mouth. No. Oh, Dave's over in the corner mouthing Gaiman. Gaiman Gaiman. Gaiman Gaiman. Okay, Gaiman. that's fine. I'm this sorry. is sorted. Stardust. Yeah, really good book. Don't watch the movie because Claire Danes' um, interpretation um, of. What am I thinking of then? I was thinking of the Michelle Pfeiffer one. Why do it we is always got her do this? It. Oh, it is. Michelle, okay. we, and she's a queen and is amazing, obviously. Okay. But um, I. The film, it just, in comparison to the book, the book is this beautiful, wonderful, magical, small tale, doesn't take very long to read, and it's just a real comfort story. He's just it's amazing. It's the purple cover, isn't it? It's the Stardust? purple cover. It's got a little star on it. But if star. you want a really quick read, something that you can sort of have a cup of tea and just shut yourself away, it's a really, really good book. Perfect. Um, Ocean at the End of the Lane. This was my favourite <laughs> of the three. Um, and I texted, I think you were the first person mm-hmm. I spoke to, um, actually apart from Dave, when I'd finished reading it. And I genuinely felt like I was going to throw up because, not because of any other reason other than it was so beautiful and poignant. And it's, I just really didn't know how I felt afterwards. It was just such an amazing, the the end of it, I can't even speak. It's just, I'm so overcome. I've just found your text to me. I just finished Ocean at the end of the lane and it was so magical and poignant, I feel a bit sick. I wonder how Neil Gaiman would feel about that. Yeah, (laughs) I really, it's so hard to explain in words. It's this, again, amazing, he just, the way that he tells stories is just lovely. You get so lost Mm. in his words and his language and in the characters, he he really concentrates on his characters, Mm. not just about the place that he creates, but the, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and their and their surroundings. And he's amazing. And um, Ocean at the End of the Lane is, I think, it's John's favorite. He actually recommended me that one first. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really don't know how to say how I felt at the end because the ending's quite. It, you just don't really know how to mm. feel. It's kind of expected, but also unexpected. And a couple of things happen, which you know there would never be another one. But at the same time, it just leaves kind of leaves you your more. yeah. And I think different people would get different things from that, and some people would find it comforting. Some fi- people might find it quite sad. Mm. But it's just 
beautiful. Yeah. All I can say is it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It really is. It was a long time ago I read it, and I've sort of lost the the plot details yeah. in my memory, but I do remember that feeling of finishing it. Yeah. Going, oh. It makes your heart sort of it, it just do a funny thing. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Flips and turns and everything. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> Oh, careful! Your Dorset's showing. I know, I know. And then I'm reading two books at the moment, which I should never do, really, because I get so confused, and because I read the same, basically the same genre always. It's quite easy to get. I guess it's slightly more confusing if it's the same genre. Yeah, it is. Um, But they are slightly different. So I'm reading *The Girl in the Towel*, which is the sequel to *Bear in the Nightingale*. And I spoke to you about this one before. It was my book. Oh, I love it. Um, It was my book of the year last year, *Bear in the Nightingale*. And I think it got really under, not underrated, because the reviews are amazing for it. But um, I don't think it got talked about as much as it should. Slipped under the radar a little bit. Yeah. And again, um, Catherine Arden, beautiful language. She's more settings Mm -hmm. than so she does characters really really well but the setting like being in the woods and surrounded by snow and just that feeling of being a bit cold and kind of snuggling up on I don't know under something with a hot chocolate like I'm doing right now (laughs) it's set in deep winter in Russia in medieval Russia and it's about story and it's kind of set in times where you had the sort of monks in the monastery and then you have had people that were suspicious of witches and things like that so it's that sort of time Um, and then you have a lot of Russian sort of mythology and folklore. A lot of it's sort of Slavic, really, really good. So you have things like house spirits and elves and things like that, which are called Domovoy, I think. But again, beautiful fairy tale, amazingly written. Girl in Tower, I've not got very far yet, so I think it's going to pick up the pace quite quickly, Mm -hmm. I think, soon. But um, again, she does different characters' perspectives and such a good book read it buy okay. it it's so good and it's really pretty and you which I know with the first one though don't you yeah you do I can, I'm not even going to I was going to say I'm going to lend you my copy <laughs> I nearly did it was on the tip of my tongue um, lies I'm not going lies. to yeah. um, and then Caraval which I was this is one of my books you know we had that um, bingo card mm. this was my book where I have been putting it off for ages because I got really put off by the cover which mm. I know you shouldn't but it kind of bridges that gap with me for covers between YA and fantasy yeah it's very much positioned in that which there are quite a few of and I think people can get quite put off by feeling like they're gonna read some young adult yeah sort of something it can that... go whichever side of it you are you can get put off by the other side of it as it were yeah. So, yeah but again it's um really really good book really intriguing I read it on two of my breaks um a couple of weeks ago and my break went passed so quickly because I just was completely lost and she again she's created this kind of different world and I'm not really sure what's gonna happen yet um it has been really popular so if you're thinking about reading it or have seen it seen a review um go for it it's a really good book so if you're on the fence so if you're on the fence yes get off the fence and onto the caravan do it um yeah oh like it yeah do it um i really want to sing satellite of love now books i'm excited about neil gaiman gaiman um american gods i've been told by several people that i need to read it now especially now i've been reading a lot of his books i've been told to read american gods and then um me and you are seriously excited about norse mythology coming out in paperback which is in end of february beginning of March? I think so, beginning of March, I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's going to be black and white covers. Yeah, two I'm different covers. pretty excited about, and I can't wait for that to come out in paperback. I've not, again, I've not read it yet, but I love I love those sort of stories based mm. in Norse Lovely mythology and, yeah, Odin and Loki and all that sort of thing. So that's going to be really exciting. And then the last one is um, The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock, mm. which I have just bought for myself, which I'm quite excited about because it kind of sounds like it's going to be slightly similar to The Essex Serpent. Yeah, very much for fans of The Essex Serpent, that one, mm. I think. So it kind of feels a weird niche that we don't really have other mm. than the Essex Serpent so it's 
historical fiction, it also includes a bit of fantasy, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of historical fiction, historical literary fiction without being too Kingsy and Queensy. Yeah. Sort of hooking onto that so much more as it's about the people in the time yeah. frame. And then, they're, like you say, like a slightly fantastical yeah. element. Yeah, and I think kind of like um, the Essex Serpent, it will draw upon the setting and the surroundings a lot mm-hmm. and the historical period in which it's set. set. It's meant to be one of our biggest anticipated books of the year, I yes. think, this year. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a really good one. It's been super popular so far. So um, and it's beautiful. It in cover. Yeah, yeah, I love the blue edging. It's Me too. And it's got a really blue. nice different spine than the cover, which you shouldn't Ooh. judge a book by its cover, but we all do. So Ooh, I've missed the different spine to the cover. It's really I'll nice. Have to have a look at that. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited about that too. And it's it's again kind of ties in with all of the sorts of things I read. Yeah. It is. So there we go. Excellent. Well, thanks, Annabelle. Good okay, to have bye. you back. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So Dave's back with me. Hey, Dave. Hey, Livy. Hello. Have you missed me? Of course, but I saw you just now. I know, again, like, this is, the pretense for the listeners is no longer there. Everyone, I'm like, oh, long time no see, but we see each other every day, it's fine. We've locked you in a room until... <laughs> Let her out, it's time to record the podcast. Yeah. Why don't you tell me and our lovely listeners what you have been reading over the last couple of months recently, just books that you're excited about that you want to talk about? I've gone political. You've gone political? I've gone political. That's not like you, Dave. No, it's actually not like me. No. Fire and Fury... Uh, the Donald Trump book, as everyone's calling it, mm-hmm. with his lovely face on the front cover. <sighs> Fire and Fury, Inside the Trump White House by Michael Wolff. And it's... Oh, my God. It's... <laughs> that just about sums it up, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Just, oh. So I, 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 like anyone else, I get more of my information from the internet. And you, you don't really know how truthful a lot of it is. Mm. And a lot of it is speculation by a lot of American citizens, you know, as to what's going on over there. And you kind of, it reads like a series of House of Cards or, which is a brilliant TV show, or West Wing, The Worst Bits. And you don't actually know what's going on. Now, with this book, Donald Trump did his best to say, it's fake news, it's rubbish. This is a witch hunt. You know, no president's ever been treated like this before. Obviously hadn't thought about Nixon or anyone else. (laughs) It hurts little feelings, and a lot of people actually came into the shop, anecdotally, to our shop, saying, oh, it's all rubbish, though, isn't it? And, and, and if you go into this book thinking, well, it's all rubbish, isn't it? He's kind of done his job mm. by saying it's fake news. Mm. Conversely, though, you also can't go into it going, oh, my God, everything in this is true, and oh, my God, the Ameri- yeah. Yeah, America is you know screwed because of all this craziness that's going on. So you have to, it's quite nice being a Brit reading this, so you can kind of sit on the fence a yeah. bit. And I've been saying to people that um, those rumours, that gossip, that news you've report you've probably read over the last year, all those crazy stories you've heard, they're all in there. Yeah. You're not learning anything new, but what you are reading about is the detail in between. The author, Michael Wolfe, he was on TV, you know, to say, look, this is all true, because if he, he probably knew the the fake news was going to be, um, you know, screamed from the White House. So so everyone, everyone, you know, was saying, what's how true is this book? And at the start, the author's introduction is actually quite good. He says in it, I've got over 200 witness statements, I have extensive notes I've taken, um, and I sat on the White House couch for what was going to be the first 100 days of the presidency, turned out to be the first 200 days of the presidency because just everything kept on going on. And basically no one was paying attention to the fact he was still sat there. Yeah, and (laughs) that's just what I say to customers, which is exactly that, which is a great quote that you mentioned, which is that he says in it he's going to make a fly-on-the-wall book 
And he said when he applied to make this book, using my words, not his, it was such a circus and no one really knew what on earth was going on. But no one said, yeah, come along and do it. So he kind of just rocks up. He kind of rocks up and then and then conversely, like later on, he sat there in the White House and no one at that point, and he says in the book, no one told him to go away. Yeah. And, and being a reporter, of course, he's going to try and yeah. record as much of it as he can. The book itself, he, he goes to great pains at the start of the book to say, look, this is true. I mean, take it with a pinch of salt, of course, yeah. but it's true. And then after that, the book is just mad, isn't it? Because you know, yeah. you've been reading it. And I, I think we're roughly at about the same point. And it's this weird one where I'm reading it, and I know roughly how far through I am just by, you know, by looking at where my bookmark is, but I couldn't tell you like where I'm up to in terms of what's happening with it because yeah. I almost keep having this like instant amnesia just to kind of <laughs> try and erase what is happening. And then every time I go back to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is happening. And it's all just so utterly bizarre. The title is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it really is that. Um, so we that's what talk, I've been reading. We, we could talk about this book not going for to. hours, but we're not going to. By the way, if um, I just heard Annabelle um, do her interviews just now, do her uh, podcast stuff, she said about a book, um, if you sat on the fence and read it, absolutely, if you're sat on the fence and want to read Fire and Fury, or you are in any way interested in the craziness that's gone on in America, or, or, or you want a, a horror story to keep you up at night, <laughs> But seriously, if you really are, read it. Buy it and read it and do it now. Because if you don't do it now, in six months' time, a year's time, this will all be um, water under the bridge. Mm. We we hope, we don't know. Um, it could be going on still. It could, me, it could be that this Fire and Fury book is tame in mm. comparison to what we might see mm. in six But I would recommend you buy it now, read it now, or get the audio book, which is brilliant. The audio book I've heard snippets of, and the audio book is really good as well. In, so I would certainly get it now if you're going to. Nothing else at Illinois Trump. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my other book I'm reading is, well, I guess it's political. At least it was political at the time. Um, it's an old book. Um, it's George Orwell, Down and Out in Paris and London. Um, off the back of Fire and Fury, it got me politically charged again. Mm-hmm. I'm well into my 30s, almost my 40s. And I haven't been like properly, you know, um, up on the barricades <laughs> since I was in my 20s, right? So... So George Orwell's Down and Out in Paris, London, I argue is quite, yeah, is quite possibly, no, no, yeah, yeah, see, it's a conviction, Dave, is definitely my favourite book of all time. Wow. That's big. Yeah. It's, um, I come from a background where, um, I come from a working class background in a very kind of affluent and very middle class uh, environment being a bookseller. And although politically Tony Blair would say we're all middle class now, um, I'd argue that one, uh, we're not, but I'd also like him to read this book and then reevaluate his stance on it. Down and Out in Paris and London is the story of, as it says on the tin, uh, George Orwell's time in Paris and then London when he was completely destitute and skin. It kicks off with him in Paris. He's already lived there for a short period of time and he talks about how he has no money for food. He has a friend called Boris, who's a Russian. He's larger than life, and uh, he was part of the Bolsheviks when the Russian Revolution was kicking off in the early 1900s. And this man is quite romantic in his outlook in life, but he's lame in one leg, so he wants to be a waiter again. And it goes into the down-and-out lifestyle of Paris at the time. So it's so romantic, Liv. It's so romantic. The, the, I would never want to live there because it sounds awful, <laughs> horrible. If you go to Paris, mm-hmm. so people that have been to Paris, 
take this book with you if you're going to go yeah, and you can walk around some of the streets that he lived in and look at it and just think wow so he talks about these tiny bistros and you would live in this apartment block and you would have your bistro at the bottom of the building or mm. next door and it would simply be you'd have so many of these bistros that only the building would go to their own bistro and you'd have all of these bistros everywhere and he said that it was of a time when you didn't have the movies to go to or anywhere else mm. anything to do other than everyone would go the working class peoples would go to the pub and sing songs at night that's what they do they would be penniless and they'd be tiny rooms they'd be tiny rooms that would hold 20 or 30 people at the most and everyone knew everyone and uh, for, for good or bad mm-hmm. and he talks about how those that had money enough um, could go down they could drink this really poor wine and they'd sing songs all night and they would have someone would stand up and start telling stories of their lives about the loves that they've had and about how destitute right. and why they are down and out now and it was so romantic romantically put he talks about a time that's probably long long gone a lifestyle that's long gone he then also talks about um, him and Boris. And like the whole book is just basically, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I have no money. And this is what I did to try and get some food. That's basically the whole book. It's brilliant. And um, him and Boris, um, uh, Boris talks romantically about how great a life it is to be a waiter. Like to be a waiter is better than anything in the world because to be a waiter is an art form. To be, okay. a waiter, to be a waiter is a certain type of respect is commanded in France to be a waiter. And there's very much a caste system that goes with it. So um, George Orwell, being British uh, and having very much a posh English accent, is very lucky and gets himself a job as as a uh, plongeur, as a uh, pan scrubber. Right. In this Hotel X, he calls it, because he doesn't want to to have any sort of, (laughs) you know, bad reputation after his book. And a good chunk of the Paris story is about him being a plongeur in Paris and about how they work 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, and they sleep where they work and they get paid nothing for it, but they nick all the food out of the kitchens. (laughs) And about how if some... And he said it's all about the economy of time. Mm. So it's going crazy. They are flat out working the whole time. And he says, due to the economy of time, if he says... uh, Put it this way, if you read this book, you'd never eat at a restaurant again um, (laughs) in a city centre one. He says that, you know, if it, they had the dumbwaiter lift and he said if a chicken were to fall in the lift, they would just pick it up, dust it off, put it back on and then serve <laughs> it and charge 25 francs for the for the privilege. You know, if, you know, you hear those stories about like um, uh, maitre d's and stuff in hotels that, you know, the finders, the guys that can get the ultra rich anything at any time. Mm. It's that invoking that kind of service level working class romance that mm. is just that throughout the book he talks about. Um, with a sense of kind of, isn't this abject poverty horrible? But look how romantic it kind of all is. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so nice. I've read it for probably the umpteenth time, and I and I and I love it. I love. Yeah. It. I really recommend it to anyone that goes to Paris uh, or anyone that wants to read more about working class lifestyles in the 1900s. Wow, so really interesting. Your favourite book of all time? Potentially, yes. I'm reeling. Oh, you've you've your convictions lacked there. Earlier on, you no, were, no, 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 you no, no, because conviction, and now it's just potential. No, no, because because he's asking a bookseller a <laughs> favorite book of all of time, course, like. Of but no, 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 conviction, yeah, favorite book of all time. Okay, what are you excited about reading in the next couple of months? So I've not read Patrick Rothfuss. Everyone talks about how I should read Patrick Rothfuss, and this mm-hmm. was 2017 was my year of uh, reading books that have been recommended to me for years that I've not read yet. Okay, and I read uh, Robin Hobb. Fell in love. Fell in love. I read Ursula Le Guin. 
fell in love. Good. Uh, and sadly, she's passed away recently. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back and re- revisit some of hers. But I've been recommended Patrick Rothfuss for, for years. Mm. I mean, 2007, I just looked up, was his first book. And um, I've probably been recommended it since then. The Name of the Wind being the first one. They, they re-released it in hardback uh, last Christmas. And I picked it up and it's been on my shelf. And it's next to read. And in fact, I've just finished down in, in Paris and London. So it will be next to read. Ooh. And... Um, you start working your way through that. I've still got Robin Hobb. Yeah. So I might go back to Robin Hobb. Yeah. Although I don't want to read exclusively fantasy. Then I haven't read anything else. Fantasy February. Fantasy Fantasy February. Fantasy Liv. February. There you go. Let's do that. I'm going to do Fantasy February. Brilliant. That was my wholly original idea. <laughs> well, we'll catch up with you later on in Fantasy February then. Thanks, Liv. Cheers, Dave. Bye. So there we have it, folks. That's a catch-up with some of our booksellers. Now, before I go, as I mainly get to do all the admin stuff at the beginning, I want to mention a book that I'm loving at the moment. This will come as no surprise to a lot of people, but the paperback of George Saunders' Lincoln in the Bardo has just come out this week, and I read this one when it first came out in hardback last year. It then went on to win the Man Booker Prize, and I'm so thrilled that the Man Booker judges agreed with me that it is an absolutely fabulous book. It is so fantastic. It's moving, it's innovative, it's funny, it's absolutely heartbreaking and somehow life-affirming. It is an absolutely wonderful story based on Abraham Lincoln's eight-year-old son Willie who died while Abraham Lincoln was of course having to deal with the civil war in America and it's all about the sort of weight of responsibility and grief and love in George Saunders style which is his first novel. He's been a master of short fiction for so many years now, one of my favourite short fiction writers and he has now written his first novel and it is an absolutely breathtaking piece of fiction so I urge you to check that out I've got a little display of it up on the first floor um, because I love it so much so come and talk to me about that one and I will uh, talk until the cows come home or until you shut me up by buying a copy of the book one or the other so that's a book that I wanted to tell you about so that was our podcast we're back for 2018 we're going to be playing with the format slightly throughout 2018 but suffice to say we are back Um, it's wonderful to be back and we hope that you enjoyed listening to this first episode of 2018 all of the links to all of the things i've been talking about will be in the audio description or the text description for the audio i should say i always get that wrong it will be in the description for this podcast so you can click on any of the links to anything that we've been talking about all the books that we've mentioned will be in there links to our events page and our newsletter and our waterstones.com page will be there do come in and talk to us about anything you've heard on the podcast today we'd love to talk to you about all of the love your bookshop week events and books in general so yeah thank you very much for listening and happy reading